As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Last week, Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parrish delivered yet another major twist in the summer's transfer window. Let's bring you some breaking news. It's welcome news if you're a Crystal Palace supporter. 21-year-old winger Michael Alise signed a new deal to keep him in South London for a little while longer. So how important is this news for the rest of the Premier League? And are players starting to doubt the stability of the Chelsea project? I'm Ayoa Kimolere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. At such a young age, his future here is, is, is very bright and we can help him move very quickly to another level if, if, if that's going to happen in time. But of course, his decision has been his, you know, with this pressure from the outside and this is your place, this is where we think you will progress in the right way, you will develop in the right way. All right, with us in the studio, Dump Fifield, senior writer, turn editor at The Athletic and also Athletic Brentford writer, Jay Harris, are with us this afternoon. Right, Dom, let's start with you. I know you're a huge Palace fan and also across a lot of the London clubs. First and foremost, before we go on, is the name Wilfred Zaha going to be triggering for you through this podcast? <laughs> no, not in the slightest. I mean, he, he's the greatest I ever saw at Crystal Palace playing for my boys. And, and his, his time has come and he's moved on and the club is moving on without him and wishing him best. That's the most politician answer I've ever heard in oh, my life. Back, With clenched back, fists Will. underneath the table. <laughs> right, let's talk at least at Palace. Um, I know you're a Palace fan, as I said, and uh, you know you've watched his rise very, very closely. Are you surprised that a team like Chelsea were interested? No, I think his impact, particularly last season, was so spectacular at at, at Palace, a mid-table team, albeit you know above Chelsea in the table. It should be noted. Um, <laughs> that there was always going to be interest and, and particularly given the, the particular circumstances around his contractual situation at mm-hmm. Palace. So it was always likely that it was, you know, his commitment to that club was going to be tested at some point. Um, and given what Chelsea are doing at the moment, the the radical overhaul of their their entire squad, really, and, and rejuvenation of their squad, revitalising the whole set up there, uh, you know, they were inevitably kind of to look across the capital 
add options and, and at 21, a France under 21 international, a player that had provided so many assists and goals at Palace last season, he was going to be on their radar. So not a huge surprise at all. I'm trying to figure who Michael Elise actually is. I've done some work with the Premier League in the last couple of seasons. We had we worked with him last season and we did this um, sort of little skit with him. And he's got this real deadpan <laughs> introvert. I don't know. Well, how can we explain well, it? Do you, do you have any insight on, on well, the Apparently character? he's not like that privately. I mean, you know, with with the other players, he's, he's not always like that. But certainly if you shove a microphone in front of him he he sort of tends to clam up a bit which is absolutely his prerogative i mean we sometimes we all forget that you know you're basically asked being asked to public speak every every time you put a microphone in front of these kids and that's what they are um they 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 might not have had any training on that so why should he suddenly be this extrovert character that that you know embraces all all sides of the media it's not it's that's completely his prerogative how he behaves in front of the cameras just talk us through it uh, through what they got. Mm. Uh, I think Wolf passed me the ball, shot, scored. <laughs> nice and brief, but it, it was a, it was a moment that that captured the game, that won the game. And what's the feeling like when the ball does hit the back of the net? Yeah, it was a good feeling. I, I think he's I think he's popular within the group. I think he's got a, a nice bond with Eberichieza at the club, which I think has come through in some of the sort of social media videos that the club has put out over the last few years. Um, but he is a player that, when he's on the pitch, just comes alive, and and that's where you see his character, his confidence, his self belief. I mean, it's all there. Some of the performances, some of the passing that he produces in matches, even in games where Palace are under the cosh, and that you know that happens quite a bit when you, they're playing elite teams. He still stands out as an outstanding player. And you see what he did at Ellen Road last season, shushing the crowd. You talk about confidence there. Millwall picking up bottles. I well, mean, that, that was, was, yeah. was always going to be a raucous match between Palace and, and Millwall. That was a big one. I was at that game, and and I mean, the bottles were raining down on him whenever he took a corner, but. And Palace were one 0 down at half time in that cup tie back in I think it was January twenty or twenty two twenty two, and he just he just came alive after the break and he scored a fantastic goal. He set up Mateta for another goal, um, and he just loved it. He loved that the poison that was being poured at him. He just took it all and and you know cupped his ears to them, shushed to the lips as you say to that Ellen Road. I mean he, that is that is the belief of the of the of the man. Um, he's just supremely confident in what he can provide on a football pitch and he stepped up I mean I have to say the first season he, he it took him a while to break in under Patrick Vieira he started each of the seasons at Palace third one now actually all with injuries so he's had a delayed start but when he's he's sort of broken in found some rhythm found some form and he's illuminated performances well, that's one Palace fan's verdict. Producer Jay Bill caught up with supporters outside Selhurst Park last night to see what they made of Elise staying put. How happy are you that Elise has stayed with Palace this season? Yeah, thrilled, man. He's in our top three players, you know, last season, along with Zaha and Eze. He's so important to the way we play, trying to make attacks. So, yeah, buzzing for that. I'm completely over the moon about Elise staying. He's like one of those Palace players that get you out of your seat, you know, that long line of players like Zaha, Yannick Balassi. Obviously, Eze, so really, really exciting player, you know, really over the moon. And how important is it that it was Chelsea that were trying to sign him and they obviously didn't let you get Gallagher back and are stockpiling players at the moment? Was there any importance that it was Chelsea that he turned down? Well, look, it's a great feeling to get one over on Chelsea because uh, I think these guys have 
what spent almost like a billion quid in just over a year. So it just shows that, you know, Todd Burley can't have everything he wants. Obviously, the fact that he turned down Chelsea is excellent because don't like Chelsea at all. And one of the problems about him maybe going there meant that I'd have to sort of not mind Chelsea. And I've already had to do that a little bit because they've got Conor Gallagher and I love Conor Gallagher, obviously. So I'm really pleased that he didn't go there. Okay, Joe, let's bring you in, obviously, uh, rival supporter. Um, what do I think of Elisa? I think he's a, a brilliant footballer. Um, and I think what always stands up to me is that he's only 21 years old and often you look at wingers and mercurial creative players at that age and they just have very little end product. They're often so focused on trying to beat, beat their player on the wing that they often don't have the correct decision-making in the final third. You know, Dom's already mentioned... Elise had, what, 11 assists in the Premier League last season. So that's the joint fourth highest in the league. So behind De Bruyne, Salah, Trossard, Saka. So players who are at the top six clubs, senior internationals, top quality players. And Elise is up there. Spoken about the fact he's a France under-21 international. I think it's fair to say so talented that he's probably a little bit unlucky that he's in the French setup because their forward line and Bappe, Dembele, Kolo Moani, so Moani, come on. It's going to be very hard to break into that. Just go Nigerian, man. Come on, get your games in, bro. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think you mentioned the Leeds game as well where he got three assists in the second half and became, I think, the youngest Premier League player in history to do that. Um, so many special moments of quality. The free kick against Manchester United obviously spoken about my role at Brentford. And um, I remember before Brentford's first season in the Premier League, I um, actually spoke to Thomas Frank about some of the signings they'd made that summer. And he said the one they'd missed out on was Elise. No and way. he said that, you know, Elise was was pretty much his number one target. They were just so impressed that he obviously primarily plays on the right wing, but can pop up as a number 10. And there's so much potential there. Um, so he's been really exciting to watch. And outside of, you know, top six clubs, Elisa and Eze are definitely two of my favourite players to watch because I think they're just so graceful on the ball. Yeah, no, no, they look really, really, really good. And both with a Nigerian uh, heritage, I'm just saying. Nigeria <laughs> produces some beautiful ballers. Uh, right, Dom, um, obviously Roy Hodgson's there for a year, at least anyway, for the time being. How much of an influence do you think he had in, in keeping Elise at the club? Uh, it will have been some influence, definitely. I mean, look, if, if a manager of his experience... Um, and his his clout really tells you that he's effectively going to not build his side around him, but but he's certainly going to make him integral in in his team. And he he feels that this is the best place for him to develop his game. Then you're going to listen. Um, one thing about Elise's career so far, and it's it's not a conventional one by any stretch of the imagination, given that he spent time at Chelsea's academy and Manchester City's academy before ending up at Reading. Um, He's, it's almost mapped out. He's he's very clear in what he wants to do next and this little development, which ultimately he believes will take him into the Champions League and to, you know, a, a, a very, very big club. Mm. The way it's gone so far has, has been to plan. And obviously Palace have, have spoken to him and said, what we can offer you that maybe some of your suitors can't offer you yet is if, you, if you're here and you're available for 34 games next season, 30, 30 games, whatever, through the injury, you will play in all those games. You will start those games. You will be integral to us. We will give you the platform to express your, your talent, to enhance your reputation um, and, and demonstrate what you can do. And then really, once you've done that, and once he, he will do that because he will, he will be brilliant again this season, um, he should have 
a wide range of, of choices come next summer, um, which might pursue, you might be able to pursue to, to take that step to the next level to a team that's competing in Europe or, or possibly the Champions League. He sees himself as a, a top baller yeah, wanting does, to yeah. play in the Champions League. That's that's why he left Reading to get a bit more experience at Palace. And hopefully that's a springboard to yet another fantastic club. I mean, Manchester City, I know they were monitoring the situation. No formal offer was made, but you can understand an academy player now looking at him flourishing at Palace. Why that is such an enticing proposition for a team like Man City, even though they've just bought Doku. Well, yeah. I mean, when, when, when Mares left, as a Palace fan, you're sitting there thinking, oof. Oh dear, this is trouble <laughs> because Elise is that type of player who could operate off the flank and 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 can cause damage. And it takes a while for players to make an impact at City. So it might have been that next season would have been, or this season rather, would have been a, a slower burn for him in terms of breaking into the City first team setup and playing and having an, an influence in there amongst other magnificent talents, let's be honest. Um, and that Palace will offer him more game time and a chance to be the main man or with, with Ezra in there as well. Um, and, and I presume that is that is the incentive for him in, in terms of sticking him out. Um, it certainly was when it came to Chelsea, by the look of things, um, given the number of players that they've signed over the summer. Just just just, just quickly, I know you're talking about the, the competition at Man City. Obviously, Elise would go right wing and Cole Palmer's there. And Cole mm. Palmer himself is a very... Great talent, you know, just won the um, under-21 European Championship in the summer with England um, and has just scored in the, the Community Shield and the um, UEFA Super Cup. Super Cup as well. And that's before you factor in, you know, Foden's ability to play out wide and Bernardo Silva and all those kind of things. And then I always wonder in these situations, if you're Elise and you got released by Man City's Academy when you were younger, I think it's probably as much as a positive and a negative in that situation because surely part of you thinks, well, you didn't believe in me five, six, seven years ago. So why should I trust you with my career development now? But then I also understand it the other way that there'd be a part of him that's like, well, I want to come come back and prove the point that you were wrong to release me in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know what his thinking would have been when, mm. when he left City. I, I don't think it was, I don't think his, his development necessarily was easy at those clubs. I mean, his, his brother's still at Chelsea yeah. uh, in the under 18s now. So there are ties there still with Chelsea. Um, and we shouldn't underestimate the fact that Joe Shields, who brought him to yes, City, of course, of course. is now at Chelsea. So I imagine that at some level, Joe Shields would have been leading that push for Elise to come to Chelsea. I, I think I just think he's got a very, very clear plan of, as to what he wants to do. I think there was a temptation there this summer because there is clearly something happening at Chelsea and for, for players to look at that, that some of them will look at that and think that's an opportunity. I want to be a part of that sort of young revolution that's happening within that within that club. That might offer me a chance to to do what to fulfil what I want to do. But then again, he might have had the sense also to say, well, I'll still play twice as much at Palace, um, and that will probably take my kick my game on more than being on the fringes, even if I'm training with better players. I suppose it within the group. Although, again, I go back to the mid-table thing. <laughs> Do you know what? We'll, we'll talk about Chelsea in, in just a second. I'd say that tongue-in-cheek just yeah, to definitely. avoid the abuse from the Chelsea <laughs> You'll be fine. It's a, it's a really nice forum here at the Athletic. You know that. Uh, but like, we'll talk about Chelsea in just a second. And uh, just a cheeky plug. We, we we dropped a podcast last week on Chelsea and it's doing really, really well. Lots of you really enjoyed it. So uh, if you want to listen to more about how Chelsea are able to afford all these players and stuff, please uh, check out the Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, and now, uh, just a quick one. Um, Jay, I know you've covered Brentford a lot 
I just wondered if there are any parallels here between Crystal Palace and also Brentford in terms of them both losing their lead talisman and then certain players now having to step up. For Palace, for instance, you know, Embuemo has to step up and we've seen him. He scored three goals already this season. A little bit, and Don might be able to correct me on this, but I feel like when Palace signed Aberi Eze from QPR three years ago, he was kind of touted as Zaha's eventual successor back then. And you may be fortunately kept Zaha longer than maybe you anticipated. Obviously, whenever a, you know, a talismanic player leaves a club, fans are always going to want a direct replacement. Um, and I completely understand that. But actually, sometimes it's smarter and easier to kind of promote from within and kind of play in a slightly different way because it keeps you unpredictable. So with Brentford, and I'll try and bring this back to, to Crystal <laughs> Palace if I can. But obviously, Ivan Tony is a very classic traditional centre forward who, you know, pretty much stays in the penalty box, great hold up play. You don't really get as many of those strikers nowadays. So what Brentford have had to do is bring in Mbuma, bring in Visser, who are more hybrid forwards, who can play left wing, right wing striker. They make more runs in behind. And so Brentford become less predictable because everybody knew that when Brentford played, especially when Brentford played a top 16, mm. David Reyes pinging it long mm. to Ivan Tony, And so some teams were eventually going to work that out. So now, having been in the Premier League for two years, Brentford can kind of naturally evolve away from Tony. But also it's about thinking in the future. Brentford signed Keane Lewis Potter a year ago. They signed Kevin Sharder in January. And those players were never expected to perform straight away. But eventually they'll step up, they'll evolve, and they will hopefully score some of the goals that Tony will no longer be providing. So to ping it back to, to Crystal Palace, the fact that they bought Elise two years ago and he's almost learned and studied under Zaha over two years, he's now in a far better situation to kind of step up and do that. Whereas if you signed someone this summer for a lot of money to replace Zaha, one, it would cost a lot of money. And there's no guarantee that they'd fit into that system straight away and hit the ground running. Whereas because they've done it with Eze and Elise over a period of time, I think that would be a slightly smoother transition. Eze was the first signing really of a, of a new policy at Palace. When he came in, uh, it was a, an indication of where the club wanted to go. At that stage, the, the, the squad was aging. It was they were approaching the end of was it the oldest in era. the Premier yeah, League at was, the time? Absolutely, and 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 the, the the sheer number of departures in the summer of 2021 was frightening. I think a lot of people looked at it and thought, "What, 12, 13, 13 players leaving? This is a disaster waiting to happen." But what they did that summer, and as they joined the previous year, um, that they they brought youth potential. Uh, they brought players to rejuvenate the place, um, to create a new style of football. And, and a lot of people focused on Patrick Vieira at the time as as the as the man that was, you know, pioneering this. It, it wasn't really Patrick. It was it was this was Dougie Friedman that was setting this, mm. laying this down. And I mean we have to remember that, that Palace's pursuit of a successor to Roy Hodgson that summer didn't didn't start off with Patrick Vieira being first choice. It was very you know, they they looked at other options and some of them were you could argue were bizarre options, but I mean, considering what they actually wanted to do, but you know, they ended up with a manager that embraced that, that, that you know, working with this with this young squad, um, youthful squad, full of energy, and it's really just continued from that. All their signings from twenty twenty one, from from really Decore twenty twenty two as well, can come into that. This is the first time in years, probably the first time really since Palace's return to the Premier League that 
Palace are now a, a team that, that other clubs covet players from. They actually want to sign Palace players. There was never a real a, a point. Yannick Balassi briefly when Everton paid a lot of money for him. Zaha obviously had that little the, the dalliances with Spurs and with Everton as well um, for a while. But but this team now, you can go through it from Gay to Anderson to Decore to Eza to Elise Mitchell. They're all players that other teams would quite fancy having in their side. And they, they quite fancy having them even if they're in the Champions League. And that's the first time, that, that's a policy that's working. That is a policy that a transfer policy that's working. When it doesn't work, is when two of them leave in the same window. Which was why Elise in Elise in, in, in Elise this summer prompted so much panic, because having lost Zaha, if you lose Elise as well, then you're in trouble. Sorry, by the way, I was laughing because I think you realised midway through <laughs> that you were like, "Wow, nobody yeah. wanted to buy players <laughs> of my club for ten years." That's what you were like, and "Wow." That's, but that's it. But I think that's what I, I saw think. the stutter, man. I was just like, <laughs> the, "The reality is that when you're trying to establish yourself in the Premier League, which Palace did from 2013 onwards, you need experience there to to keep you at that level for a period. I mean, that's how it worked at the time. I think Brentford had done it brilliantly, instantly, in and a slightly done it in a different, different way. way. Yeah. yeah. But that's at the time, I think that was the sort of tried and trusted method. You had to get through that first year and then the, the tricky second year to do it. But inevitably, you, you, you're sort of relying upon seasoned old pros for a while then. And, and it from you know, that's, an eight, that's eight years, really, with a, pretty much the, the same core of players. And, and, and they all left at the same time. They all left in the summer of 2021, other than, you know, Wilfred, who's left this summer. But I think it's just it just shows there's an evolution now that which they've sort of they've belatedly adopted, but it is working. It's it's the same model that works at Brighton. It's the same model that works at Brentford now. But I think those clubs are slightly better, maybe in terms of future planning, because they're slightly further. That 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 strategy is slightly more ingrained with them. Has been for a while. So like Brighton, if they lose a player, they've got like two or three that, that are ready to step up. I don't think Palace are quite there yet. They're still having to bring players in. I mean, France are for for Zaha in the same summer. And, you know, we shouldn't directly compare them. Having said, you can't fill the boots, etc. But it's 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 that kind of strategy. And that's what they need to get better at. I think just very quickly, the difference between Palace, Brighton and Brentford is that Palace have been historically in the Premier League for the last yeah. two decades. For as lo certainly throughout my lifetime, obviously they've dropped into the Championship during spells. Whereas Brentford and Brighton have kind of built themselves up from League Two, League One right. into the Championship, into the Premier League. So they've almost grown with this. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but I'd, I'd go back to the fact that in 2010, Palace were in administration and heading to League One. So, and they'd only been one year in the Premier League this century, up to. You know when they when they got promoted in in 2013. So, really? Yeah, 2004 2004-05 was their only so, season. So now you know, younger Jay, come on. Man. <laughs> well, I was like my prime. I hate to say it, but I was like nine, so I was like full You're blown in the Andy Johnson fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> was, that, was that not the year that Andy Johnson scored like yeah, that, 15 that, goals? He scored <laughs> 20 odd goals and they got relegated. My bad. No, but 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 you're right in as much as they'd never been below yeah. the championship, and they'd always been one of those clubs that. They were they were a yo-yo club like West Brom. They they sort of came up and they'd get relegated again. But but really, I mean, in the nineties, you could argue, yeah, they've been a sort of fixture for a, around a decade in the top division. You could argue sort of loosely, but but not this century. And th th this is unprecedented. I mean, eleven years isn't ne they've never done that in history. Okay, let's quickly talk about Manchester City because there was never 
a formal offer from Manchester City. They too were monitoring Elise's situation closely this summer. Yesterday, The Athletic reported Manchester City have agreed a fee of 65 million euros, that's 55.5 million pounds, with Rennes for winger Jeremy Doku. So, we asked tactics writer Ahmed Walid to tell us a little bit more about it. I think the profile of the player that City wanted to replace Riyad Mahrez is clear. They wanted someone who's more of a ball-to-feet winger like Mahrez was and someone who's really good in 1v1 situations. So looking at Michael Olize made sense and actually Jeremy Doku fits this profile a lot. Doku in the box, Doku still with the Doku! Doku is a great player in 1v1 situation. His dribbling is his biggest asset. And the thing is, although he's predominantly right-footed, he can also dribble with his left. He can actually use both feet in conjunction. So he can maybe dribble with his right and then the next action would be with his left foot. So that saves time and makes him a bit unpredictable. It's really hard to get the ball off him. He knows how to use his body well. His ball control is very good and he doesn't turn over the ball a lot considering that he is a dribbly winger. There are some questions about his defending. I think this is something that he will need to improve uh, at City and especially uh, when he loses the ball, like the counter pressing is something that uh, City really focus on. I think this is something that Doku will have to work on at City, but there is a room to grow in terms of maybe off ball movements or being more of a goal threat uh, like towards the far post. This is the Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
There's a very wealthy group at the top of our league in the Premier League who are spending enormous sums of money, you know, from the hundreds of billions even pushing up towards the billions of pounds. And that isn't what Crystal Palace are capable of doing and, and it's not something which I would even suggest they should even think about doing because we've, we've done pretty well so far with the way the club's been operating. All right, let's talk Chelsea. Um, Elise chose to stay at Crystal Palace. Does this signal, how can I put this, a bit of a win for the rest of the league, really? I mean, we, we've seen an insane transfer window for, for Chelsea. Um, potentially, you've, you've got a young player looking at that, thinking maybe a bit more development at Palace might actually do my career some good. <laughs> You'll find this hard to believe, given you've... You've laid my palace allegiance <laughs> bare. But when the news came through, one of the first things I felt was, this is good news for the Premier League. Mm. There has to be a level of competition in this division. And if you do have a club, okay, a club that's playing catch-up, massive game of catch-up with Manchester City and, and doesn't look as if they're going to be competing for the title anytime soon. But a club that is spending such amounts, I mean, over 900 million pounds since this new ownership came in 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 the summer of 2022 mm. um three transfer windows uh they can't have it all their own way the rest of the division has to fight back in some capacity somehow and you know you can argue that brighton have done that by getting 115 million pounds for moises caicedo um, that's one way of doing it but but i use this phrase with a certain wariness, but giving Chelsea a bloody nose is something that I suspect a lot of clubs in the division will celebrate. Now I know, you know, and I, I should also say that I I contribute to the Straight Out Cobham podcast here at the Athletic, and I know that there's a there's a sense that Chelsea's squad building is not complete. They don't have a perfectly balanced squad, even after spending this amount of money. They're still a club that's going to be doing lots of things between now and the end of the transfer window. And their supporters, and indeed I imagine Maurizio Pochettino would argue, they still lack uh, a creative number 10 and clearly a number 9 that's going to score them goals. And to to you know, rectify those issues and the, the, those problems with the team, they're going to have to spend a lot more money um, if they've got no faith in what they have in their squad at the moment. But for everybody else looking in, it looks like stockpiling. It looks like there's a young talent, we'll have him. There's another one, we'll have him. I suspect there is a strategy. There is something quite exciting happening at Chelsea. It's costing a lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> Jay, I'm just thinking when you're saying that, you know, you're a young player, you're guaranteed football at a team like Brentford, Crystal Palace, but also it doesn't come with the pressure of having to hit the ground running like you would have at Chelsea. I mean, as attractive as an eight-year contract might look like for you and your agent, the reality is actually that comes with a lot of pressure to literally, as you're saying, Dom, try and catch up with Manchester City. Yeah, and firstly, I don't know if an eight-year contract is that much of a good thing because you are kind of locked in and the amount of opportunities you have to leave the club if things don't go well are very, very limited. I think for me, I just look at Chelsea at the moment, I don't think it's a particularly stable project. With Caicedo, I think he's one of the few players I can understand why he's joined Chelsea recently because they had a very obvious hole at number six. So he's going to go in and he's going to play week in, week out. It, obviously, if we take the Elise situation, he 
prefers to play on the right wing. You've got Sterling there. You've got Madueke there. You've got Mudrik who can play there as well. So straight away, there's an imbalance in terms of how many players they have in certain areas of the pitch. And you also look at what they've done in terms of they've got Badawashila, who's a left-footed centre-back. They've got Levi Colwell, who's a left-footed centre-back. Lewis Hall looked like to be a really good prospect and now he's gone out on loan and he's joined Newcastle with an obligation, I think, to buy. To buy, yeah. So they're doing all of these wild schemes at the moment and it feels to me like there's no real consistent plan and as Dom said, it just feels like they're picking up players for the sake of it at the moment and obviously the famous one is Mudrick. It almost felt like they just signed him just to spite Arsenal, really. Um, Man City, I would have understood a little bit more. Pep Guardiola, Champions League, competing for trophies. You trophy, know you can grow compi- at City, com- right? Competing for trophies. So maybe playing for Man City and getting the odd cameo here and there in elite competitions would have pushed you that further. I don't know if playing for Chelsea every now and then when they're not in Europe, there's no difference to, to staying at Crystal Palace. And I also compare it to Jack Grealish a little bit in the sense that I think we kind of forget Grealish only joined Man City, I think a month before he turned 26. Like he waited quite a while to make that move. He probably could have gone maybe a couple of years earlier, but I didn't really do him any harm growing at Aston Villa, making mistakes, becoming the talisman. He down with Villa, came back up with Villa. Of course, but but he had the time to grow. He became the talisman of that team and he really kicked on in other ways. And I don't think there's any harm in in Elise and other players doing that and rejecting Chelsea. I agree with that. It's, it is refreshing. That, that is the, that was a sense when it came to Elisa, because we, we've had this summer where, you know, players have, have joined Chelsea. You look at it and think, well, you know, you're likely to be playing your first team football at Strasbourg next season, not at Chelsea. <laughs> um, I'm sure the Chelsea ownership would, would say, well, look, actually, this is the only way we can revamp this this team and, and provide some kind of long-term stability. But the, the reality is... You're right in terms of if you if you choose between Man City and, and Chelsea for your development, you go to City because of Pep Guardiola. Mauricio Pochettino hasn't been in in situ long enough at, at Chelsea to show that there is there's long term faith in what he can provide there yet. I mean, I'd, I'm sure Bedard Igbali and and Todd Bowley would would argue that they want to they want Pochettino to do what and be at Chelsea for as long as Pep's been at City. And, that, and that's that's the idea that that allows the philosophy to get properly ingrained and then they can develop players and bring them through uh, with with that faith um, in the management. But but the reality is that, that you know, their first year in, in situ, when they promised they were going to be very different to the Roman Abramovich regime, they, they sacked managers every 10 minutes. But also on that, I look at the Abramovich era and you look at the ghost of players past Names like Gail Kakuta jump out, Mishi Batshuayi. I'm sure there are a few others as well. Who were bought who in were and bought they never really did it. Never I know, know, know Batshuayi is a bit of a strange figure, but he was bought from Marseille, I think, for about 25, 30 million pounds. And he was seen as, this is someone who could become the heir to Didier Drogba. And he just never really got the game time, got farmed out on all these different loans. And you can definitely see history potentially repeating itself, even though there's been this massive change of ownership. Looks like the same mistakes are being made and obviously the rules have been tweaked as well so you can't stockpile as many players and send them all out on loan so it's slightly different but the the confusion I have with it is that Chelsea have got one of the best academies in the country so have City incidentally but but Chelsea have got one of the best and yet constantly buying in very very young talent at vast expense sort of seems to undermine the, the faith you might have in your academy well like I said Hall's the best Hall's the best example of that right you've now sent him to a top four rival. 
um, when he was someone who could have potentially deputised to Yeah, he played 10 games in the Premier League. But also, I mean, look, they've got rid of a fair few players who seem to be enjoying life elsewhere. Pulisic, Havertz, Kovacic, and with the exception to Mason Mount, Loftus-Cheek at AC Milan as well. I want to bring this to smaller clubs and the frustration of be losing your best players. Because for a team like Chelsea, lots of money, we can get rid of all these big ballers and just bring people in and, and, and revisit and revise. A team like Palace, a team like Brentford don't have that luxury. Sitting as a fan or sitting as someone who covers a, a club like Brentford, I mean, what what's the long-term strategy? Do you just admit that this is the way it's going to be for, for forever? That we're going to build these incredible players, hopefully make a profit off, off the back of them um, and just understand that unless there's a big buyout or a takeover, that we we just need to stay in the Premier League and, and, and challenge for trophies. Yeah, I think Thomas Frank has said that in multiple press conferences over the last couple of years. And he says very much, you know, people say that Brentford are a selling club. And he's like, I think there are maybe only three or four clubs in the world yeah, exactly. who aren't selling clubs. Mm, yeah. And, you know, mm. with your Man Cities, your Chelsea's, your Barcelona's, your Real Madrid's, like they have to do that in order to survive. Obviously, Ray has been in the news recently because he's moved to Arsenal on loan and it looks like it will be made permanent for £30 million eventually. But Brentford signed him for £3 million and developed him over a period of time. And when these players joined Brentford, you know, this is not a surprise to Brentford that David Rea and Ivan Tony are being linked with bigger clubs. It's almost part of what they present to the players when they join the club. I know Ivan Tony appeared on a podcast yesterday and was talking about his betting ban, but actually in, in it, he also talks about when he joined Brentford and Thomas Frank said, join us. Hopefully we'll get promoted to the Premier League. If not, you'll still score goals and we'll sell you on to the Premier League. So it is a part of their um, ethos in a way and their, their whole strategy. But at the same time, they obviously don't want to be buying players and losing them after a year. They want to tell these players, stay with us, stick with us for as long as possible, develop. And then when the time is right for you and for us, we'll let you go. Because obviously, Ray has moved towards the end of the window, whereas in the beginning of the window, it looked like he was maybe going to move to Tottenham Hotspur. And Brentford were like, this is our price. Until you get near it, we're not going to let you go. So it has to be right. But I think clubs know that it's just part of the strategy. Because also, I know uh, our colleague Andy Naylor wrote, I don't know if it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but a piece the other day about what Brighton have um, bought with the money that Chelsea have spent on getting Graham Potter and all these people <laughs> out of the club in the last yeah. you know, 12 months. And I think it was about £240 million in total. And that's the cost of Brighton Stadium and Brighton's training ground. Yeah, well, it's the model. I mean, it's the model. And it's, it's, a, it's the only model that will work, I think, for, for those clubs middle of the road, mid-table mid clubs. And Brighton have exceeded that and they're top of the table at the moment. But but, but it, it works if you get it right like they have. It, it's And it, it's a, the business model that allow a club that gets attendances anywhere between 25,000 and 35,000 to to hold their own in, a, in the richest and most competitive league in the world. Um, incidentally, you say selling clubs. I, I wonder whether Chelsea might become a selling club ultimately with some of these players that they've bought. I mean, they, a lot of these kids that they brought in, they brought buying in potential again, and with the view possibly, well, a few of them. Well, if we get twice as much, three times as much in a few years' time, then that's the model working but, for but, us. But obviously, the difference there is that surely Chelsea wouldn't be selling them 
to fund to, new players to fund no, new yeah, players or, or to fund a new or, infrastructure or because, or because they don't want them but they might be fund, might be selling them to comply with FFP yeah, yeah of course sure, of course sure. but yeah. that's different to but they're not desperate that, no well you it know. might be you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true, true. yeah true 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 I tell you what let's end it there um, so much uh, still to talk around Chelsea for sure how have Chelsea taken over my conversation on Palace anyway thanks Dom thanks Jay remember you can read more from these two on The Athletic and keep right up to date with all this summer's transfer window activity as well sign up today for just 199 a month for an entire year at theathletic.com forward slash football pod thank you so much for listening you've been listening to the athletic football podcast the producers were adonis pratsides and guy clark with additional production by mike stavro and jay beal the executive producer was ad moorhead The Athletic.